0: Hey, g'day team. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Today's a bit different. Uh, I've started a new product and my new product is a daily live stream news show, 10 p.m. each evening uh, on this channel, wherever you're seeing this. Um, But that's taken my focus a little bit away, just a little bit, not completely. We're not stopping this away from the DOC. And um, so what I've decided to do is a little bit of cross-pollination with my content. Some of those daily news live stream broadcasts, end up being pretty damn good podcasts. Now by that I mean it's one guest or it's one subject matter and it goes for a full hour and I want to bring them across and share them with you over here at the DOC as well. Now this is going to sound a little bit different um, because I have a co-host, as a comedian from Dunedin called Chewy um, and in the future there may be other co-hosts, uh, there may be other topics, but needless to say if it's a BHN product, big hairy news. It's going to be more news driven, but still an interesting conversation like we have on DOC all the time. Uh, The first one is with Paula Penfold, who's actually been a guest on the DOC before about some of the documentaries she's made in the past. The documentary Fire and Fury is uh, currently on Stuff Circuit and Stuff.co.nz. It's about the instigators of the Wellington protest, the people sort of up the top who are firing up all the people to come along to the protest and be a part of it, the anti-vaxxer, anti-mandate, anti-government movements that are out there at the moment. So I chatted with Paula, me and Chewy chatted with Paula last week. Uh, It was a great episode. It went for over an hour, and it's the first time I've kind of thought, I'm going to start bringing this sort of item across the DOC as well. So it's going to look a little bit different, but it's the same kind of content, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So you'll see a few of these popping up from time to time in the DOC feed. I hope you'll enjoy this one with Stuff Circuit's award winning investigative journalist, Paula Penfold. Kyoto Koto welcome back to another edition of Big Hairy News, uh with Big Hairy Chewy there with us. And of course, Paula Penfold, the delightful Paula Penfold. Thank you so much for joining us this evening.
1: Thank you both for having me. It's a pleasure
0: to be back with you. Yeah, I was thinking, I think this is number four. I think we've done one for every documentary. And this is because we did uh we did Emma and we did Billy TK and we did disordered. Disordered. We made a mistake of
1: having two documentaries that started with a D and I keep getting confused between deleted and disordered, but I think we did disordered.
0: <laughs> um, and I was thinking about this actually, and um, welcome everybody, kia ora, welcome, we'll give people a few minutes in case anyone wants to jump in before we rip into stuff. I was thinking about at the end of the disordered conversation, which was March,
2: Yes.
0: Uh, I said to you, what's coming up next? Like I do, like I'll probably say at the end of this one. And you always go, well, we've got some things, but I can't really talk about it right now. And I was thinking a couple of things. You did tell me, I think maybe once we'd finished, that it was something to do with the, the protests. And I was thinking um, that it feels like quite a long time between March and now to finish you mean, it
1: why did it take us so long
0: no <laughs> i don't quite mean day? that but it just seems <laughs> if it was from oh yeah but is, is, is this a pretty standard length of time for this sort of investigative journalism
1: uh kind of yes and no this one did take a, a, a longer than we thought it would but it was uh really challenging <laughs> really yeah. challenging much harder than we thought it would be to pull together to be honest i i thought it would be a three-month piece but it turned out to be a six-month piece
0: why why is that
1: because it was so freaking difficult um there was so much material to wade through in the first instance because we had decided that our um our method through which we wished to tell the story was to let them tell their own story through their own words and video but that meant having to watch it all And there's a lot of it. (laughs) So that took months. Um, And then we had a, you know, and Pat, you love talking about this shit, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Then we had a, you know, we had a sort of dilemma slash discussion about how to present this because we have all this um, material which is their own content, but it's all terribly filmed in horrible situations with bad audio and on phones, but we needed to make it into a documentary. So we had to find a storytelling method and vehicle through which we could translate this stuff into something that was watchable and viewable without being really kind of irritating and annoying because of its poor quality. <laughs> so that took a while.
0: Was that one of the decisions about, like, putting them on billboards and stuff? So it was like almost like it could be from a distance and it didn't have to be, you know, 4K?
1: Yeah. And, and the precursor to that was um, a discussion about the, the kind of very premise of the story, which was that we looked at it... Um, in terms of their framing of us and i don't Mm. want this to be a them and us story and i'd love it if we can talk about that a bit more because i think one of the major misconceptions about this documentary has been that it's damning the protesters all of the protesters Mm. it does it does not do that um it does not do that so if we can talk about that i'd be grateful but um One of the things that they talk about, today, one of the things that is said is that we, as mainstream media particularly, but kind of all of us, but especially us in mainstream media, are, you know, the propaganda machine. And, you know, which is a kind... So we looked back at 1984, because 1984, George Orwell, is what they throw at us, okay? So we thought... You know, actually, who's putting out the propaganda here? (laughs) Because we know it's not us. Uh, Maybe it's you. And so that idea of the kind of Big Brother broadcasting to the masses was where that billboard idea came from. But it also served the purpose of exactly that, being able to give us a way to make that shitty quality video translate to you know, the, the quality that we needed it to be. But the main purpose was trying to um, uh, represent, it was a storytelling uh, vehicle to represent the idea that these messages are not in this tiny little sphere that many of us don't access. They're actually pumping out like they're on
0: billboards. Some
1: yeah. people... Took it a bit literally. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, someone, uh, someone, someone, someone said to me that wasn't really on a billboard, was it? And I was like, no, 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 that's a, that's a tool. But
1: oh, there might have been a clue when it said "billboard graphics" by Mandy BFX. <laughs> that was a giveaway. Um, but that, you know, the some of the people who said there were never billboard graphics by these people <laughs> they said that because they wanted to portray that we were lying because yeah. that.
3: Their narrative. So, some of those people are pretty simple, but I, I, I mean, I the idea of a 20 foot high billboard with Damien Dement ranting at us from his car that gave me a full body, like, <laughs> so yeah, shocked, shock, shock value. Good, very high. but you knew
1: it wasn't real though. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, yeah. no, hey. I was like, this, this is a creative device and I'm, I'm digging it.
0: <laughs> let's um let's just set up what we're looking at doing tonight. Now, for people who know what we do, welcome to all the new viewers, and we can see you all there. Um, we take comments, and do you want to put one of those comments up, Chewy, to show people how it works with what's before we take I comments on whatever platform that is that you're watching it. Uh, watching us on, and then uh, Chewy today is going to because we we expect that the chat might be busy ish. Uh, <laughs> Chewy will be uh the chat Chewy, and he'll be going through them as we're talking and pulling out bits and bobs uh, to add to the conversation. That might be a question. That might be a comment. And I have to tell you straight away, obviously we're not going to be putting up anything vulgar or foul or offensive or accusatory or anything like that. If you want to participate in the conversation, you can. That's not what the conversation is going to be. So if that's what you do in the chat, then it's not going to make it. Um, Super chats are always open, but even I want to make this really clear because sometimes people send us super chats as well, which we appreciate. But if you do a super chat, that's vulgar and foul it still won't make it don't care if it was a 50 dollars one it's still not going to make it so don't try and kind of get around the system by saying oh, they, we got it they, we they got can it still try well they can still you could try why don't you we'll, test we'll us? take your money <laughs> 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 um, and the other thing is uh we often throw to discord um chewy and i have had a bit of a chat and we think that Uh, we might open up Discord. Uh, We're broadcasting right now on Discord, so you can go and check us out. Hang on, I'll put the link into the uh, chat. Hang on, Chew, let me do that. Uh, I think I've done that. It'll come up. Um, Depending on how long we go and how we end up, Chewie and I might stick around, and if people want to get a hold of us or call us, uh, quote-unquote call us on Discord, we might take some, but Paul is not going to be involved in that at all uh, because, to be honest... And those of you who watch us and have heard the conversations we've had with the, uh, you know, the uh, the Byron Clarks of the world and that, um, you know, Paula, you're you're not getting particularly good response from sectors of the public right now. And we're not going to expose Paula to that. Let's just be blunt. We're not, we're not gonna do that. So if you wanna come on Discord and you wanna potentially interact with me and Shoei, that might and I'll say might happen at the end. You know, depending, it's Friday night. We might be tired and want to go anyway. But, we'll, but we're saying if you want to go to Discord, there's the link. Jump on listen to us there as well, and that might turn into a conversation later on. Anyway, I think that's it. Is there anything else, Chewy, about setting up how we're running tonight?
3: No, I, I think just as far as the chat, I don't mind dissenting voices. Just have respect for the other people in the chat and our guests and ourselves, and we'll be golden.
0: Yeah, cool, man. Hey, uh, Paula, you said at the start of the documentary when you were talking about would should you guys even do this? You know, because this is some would say platforming these views, you know, that they're all saying. And you said, and I'm sorry, I'm looking off to the side because more my notes are up here on this big 50-inch screen. Um, mm-hmm. you said about uh you said about um you were getting advice, stuff followed advice on how to report this. I was wondering advice from who?
1: Heaps of people, um, heaps of uh, guidelines, written resources for journalists internationally, particularly, but also from some amazing uh uh, resources and people and groups who helped us within New Zealand about the work that they've done in this field, who who know these people, uh, uh, helped us uh, compile the set of resources, uh, and so we went through them line by line. The one the one that. Um, has had probably the most international exposure is the data and society report called Oxygen of Amplification, which um, was which is an incredible body of work, actually, for anyone, not just journalists. The point of it is to help journalists work through reporting dangerous speech. But right. it's an interesting read for anyone who's interested in what happened around Trump and how the media got that wrong. And it's lessons that have been, um, Written down now for uh, for journalists internationally about what not to do and also what to do, and so we we followed that script very very closely about mm-hmm. uh, how to not platform and how to put things in context, and it helped us make some quite unusual editorial decisions about how we would make this documentary.
0: Right, it's it's a uh, uh, yeah interesting. So you followed kind of journalistic principles and it's kind of literally what you're saying and and good advice from the experts sort of contrary to everything people are being accused of you sort of did the journalistic thing
1: well yes but but the and I can see why people have accused that the main screaming allegation thrown at us repeatedly is you didn't give them the right of reply
2: mm.
1: and you know ordinarily that's a really really fair allegation accusation to make Because we didn't. We didn't give them the right of reply intentionally. And we've written about this and we've written at length about our rationale for that. But if I can briefly summarize it. Sure. um, There's a lot, you know, there are a number of reasons. Uh, First of which, the documentary includes their own words. Like, do they want to reply to their own words? Because that's what's in there. These are their own words. They're in there. The same thing is they've had, I don't know how many, hundreds or thousands of hours of video and webinars and email. Their content is out there and it has been unchallenged, largely. I mean, there's been incredible work done by many New Zealand journalists in this field, but we wanted to bring it to light in a different way, which was video. Mm -hmm. Um, So many hundreds and thousands of hours of their material. And so our rationale was that we wanted to bring the right of reply to what they'd already published. And the third thing, which is direct advice from that guidance that I've been talking about, is when you're reporting dangerous speech, and let's not mince words, this is dangerous speech that we were reporting, don't give the people who are making the dangerous speech a platform to repeat their dangerous speech, right? A platform equal to the danger that they've already disseminated. So we had a really strict and thorough And rigorous editorial process and conversations around this because I've never done this before and you know a very long time as a journalist I've never elected to not give a right of reply Mm. we knew we'd be criticized and of course we have been roundly condemned for this by the people who we've criticized and their followers Uh, but I stand by that editorial decision for the reasons that I've just
0: set oh. out. It is interesting, though, as well, because, like, Chantel Baker has 100,000 people on her Facebook, right? She doesn't, like, she went on the platform earlier, and Sean Plunkett was like, you know, we felt, this is, I wrote it down, we felt someone should give Chantel the right of reply. Chantel's got a four times bigger audience than he does, <laughs> so I don't know why he thinks that he can give her the right of reply oh, when no, she, can just, she, can just, she can just <laughs> flick the camera on and do it herself. And she did. And I wonder if maybe in this this current age we live in, that right of reply is a little bit moot in some instances. Because if these people have massive audiences anyway, they do yeah. have the right of reply. They flick on their camera <laughs> and they so reply.
1: They've absolutely had the reply. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, the fact that Counterspin did an emergency broadcast called something rather, I'm not, I didn't watch it, but I've seen. Um, i've seen some of the comments that, that were made in it the fact that it took them three hours to respond to our one-hour democracy uh, 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 program you know that they, they have plenty of opportunity for right of reply
0: yeah yeah no it's fair um i think you said in the documentary that you haven't you haven't experienced this kind of I don't know if you said violent pushback, but certainly aggression and violence anywhere in the world. I mean, where have you done, where where have you been an investigative journalist? What war kind of areas have you been in? To, so to give us a context of how you can compare oh, that to this is the world.
1: Well, we've been to Afghanistan twice. And, uh, you know, we get security training as journalists, hostile environment training when we go to places like that. So... Uh, Afghanistan twice, the Philippines four times, um, which is one of the world's most dangerous countries to be a journalist. One of our most um, terrible decision-making processes was in Mexico uh, when we thought that we would be fine to do a particular job and we were really wrong. Um, But I, I refer to that hostile environment training because when we have that hostile environment training, It's because we need to be prepared and reminded about situational awareness and things like always having an exit route when you're in a particular situation and Mm -hmm. having um, a plan. You know, we used that to a degree in places like Afghanistan, but we used it full on in Wellington, and that makes me really sad, not just as a journalist, but as a citizen, that our hostile environment training is most useful in our own country? What the hell? What's gone wrong?
3: Yeah, I think I I spotted a a little bit of that just when you were literally getting hounded out, but I just noticed the the body language. Yeah, how you were walking. You You were... You know, shoulders rolled small. I, I said that that straight there is someone that knows it's going very south, and it's just I I can't antagonise this person. I've got to wow. I've got to get out.
1: I didn't realise it was that obvious, but you're absolutely right. That's exactly how we felt. And Louisa Cleave, uh, our Stuff Circuit producer, and I were talking about it the other day, and you know. I was kind of too scared to look back at this, what was going on behind us, but I also really wanted to know what was going on behind us. But when she looks at that footage, she sees herself looking behind us because she needed to know because it was incredibly threatening. And that wasn't even the worst time. That was just a time that was captured on camera. Um, Some of the worst moments weren't captured on camera. And I... I'm not looking for sympathy as a journalist because, you know, one of my um, uh, colleagues reminded me that no one really actually cares about, you know, we're not, no one cares about journalists particularly. But my point in raising this, and I'm grateful to discuss this, and our point in putting it in the documentary is that it's not about us as kind of individuals, you know uh, or as journalists even but it's about our collective role in our democracy and i uh, i'm always hesitant to talk about that because it sounds sort of so self-important um but i do really believe that it's uh, it's under threat uh, one of the pillars of, of our democracy is under threat when people won't let us report yeah we were it's a protest we're journalists i've reported on i don't know how many protests in 30 years as a journalist i've never been treated like that in this country or anywhere else so what's gone wrong i mean we know what's gone wrong but what do we do about it
0: let me give an example though as well because there's this juxtaposition and i interviewed um jason from op shop sorry the surnames just jumped out of my head
1: Kierison.
2: um
0: Kerison, yeah from from op shop and we talked a bit about it and jason was uh, like i did a podcast with him a doc podcast and jason was all peace and love you know it's great peace and, love. and that's and that's fine we had a bit of pushback and a bit of disagreement on some of these things but that was his experience and at the start of yeah. the documentary there's people singing peace and love and peace and love and i, I look i don't want to talk necessarily about chantelle heavily i don't know chantelle i've actually interacted with her over facebook and i might actually talk to her because you, you know, I mean, I like having right. these conversations right. Right. and I might and I might that, that might happen at some stage. But I I the this the curtain was raised a little bit when she was talking to Sean Plunkett this week. I I'm don't know if you've heard the, the interview or not, but I want to play you 30 seconds of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is this is the conversation, part of the conversation between Sean Plunkett and Chantal Baker, and this is what she said. And I'll explain to you why I think the curtains be lifted after I play this little clip. So it's 30 seconds of what she was talking to him about.
2: I actually never I never said to any media to get out. I was very clear. I actually went up to media on multiple occasions and asked them if they would like a hand interviewing people, if I can help them interview people that are that are balanced, that would be happy to talk with them to actually protect them. So I went up to media on multiple occasions because I wanted to make sure that they were actually safe once they were inside there. And even on the last day, I actually helped media away from the fires and helped ladies ex- actually yeah. from stuff down off the benches that they were on. So I think that's a bad character access. That's completely
0: false. So, so the reason I feel like that's the 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 curtain being lifted a little bit is why would Chantal have to make sure the journalists are safe in the village if there wasn't an element of anger or violence towards them? In she her just, own words, she, she just, just
1: say a quiet thing out loud.
0: Yeah, she said, "I wanted to make sure they were safe." You've been to Afghanistan, to all these other places, and not needed that necessarily. But Chantal is saying actively, if they come into the village, they may not be safe. So I offered to make sure they were safe. To me, journalists aren't worried about, you know, scary words. The thing you're worried about to be kept safe from is violence, danger, aggression, that kind of stuff. And it just kind of spoke to me that maybe – uh, and I'm not I'm not saying anything about Chantal at all. I'm just saying that I think was a good example of yeah, yeah like you say, when the quiet thing exactly. is set outside, and that may maybe maybe a lot of what we hear from a lot of the people that say peace and love was all that was there. Actually, they knew as well there was an at least an element of violence and danger within that village. Because why else would journalists mm-hmm. need to be safe with a with a guide?
1: Precisely, and. Uh, the corollary also to what Chantal Baker, I haven't heard that until right now. Um, and I'm, oh, what's the word? I mean, it's predictable that she would say that, but it's also provably wrong. So say it, but, you know, and keep on saying it, but it's not true. I mean, she may have... She may feel that she has done these, you know, gallant acts of inviting journalists in and protecting them. But you've seen in our documentary, which was in her live stream, which was watched by hundreds of thousands of people, when she singles us out, she points to us. There's mainstream media. This is your fault, your propaganda caused this, is what she said to us, to her hundreds of thousands of followers. So she may well now be saying, in terms of trying to scrub the record, that she's been a kind and welcoming person, but what she does to her followers is incite hatred towards us.
0: It is that that exact, and I'm not going to make parallels to people in decades gone past, but once you dehumanize someone, you then give the people the right to do whatever you want to them.
1: Uh And if
0: journalists are being dehumanised and being told that these people are scum and evil, I wrote down some of the quotes from various people in the documentary, and I'll just read some of these out. Um, Some of the quotes from the doco, these are either about journalists or about politicians. You know, that there's no legal outcome to your culpability, that we're taking these mofos out, we're coming for you, going to jail soon. We're going to construct the gallows. Beheadings were mentioned, executions were mentioned, media needs burning they're all, they're all easier to that's throw turning. it. I, I don't swear. Sorry, Paula. So I just couldn't say that. <laughs> that that's um, my job. I do that. That's his job. The man <laughs> doing it. That's why he, that's it's why he's down. It's still
1: ringing in my ears.
0: <laughs> but once you dehumanize someone, it's very, I mean, like if you're a cock, it's easier to stand on a cockroach. You know what I mean?
1: Hmm. I'm really pleased that you use that term, Pat, the dehumanizing, because, I saw somebody comment that uh, Chantal Baker, since that's who we're talking about, had humanised the protesters. And again, can, you know, can we please not uh, get into this sort of us and them thing, not, not that you are, but that's what they've sought to do since, um, that she's humanising the protesters and somebody uh, uh generously pointed out that she dehumanized the reporters and camera people and media and the process of doing that and how i know that that's uh you know not just a message that falls on deaf ears as i saw it (laughs) turn up on my facebook feed my personal facebook feed by some of my facebook friends posting her live feed from the protest that i was at that my Facebook friends didn't know that I was at, saying you media are scum. So I I utterly utterly reject her assertion that she's been kind towards journalists. She's dangerous towards journalists.
0: You go, Cherry.
3: Um, I was just going to say, as far as uh, language goes and and that sort of thing um a lot of my friends and family know that this is sort of an area of interest of, of mine some of these uh fringe groups and that sort of thing and how they carry on online I had a friend of mine watch fire and fury and his reaction to that was I thought you were blowing this stuff out of proportion hmm. um the the screen caps and the the voice messages from tele uh from telegram He's like, I cannot believe that these uh, New Zealanders talking this way. Like it right. was so shocking. Like he said, it blew his hair back. Oh. Um, and, and I think, I, I think no, this right, whole thing that w- with New Zealanders, we y- you don't want to be too keen. You don't want to be the person at the front of the line. You know, okay. I, I said to Pat the other day, if uh, Jesus Christ himself turned up in Wellington, someone would tell him to calm down um you know to see these people so so overboiled and and just going straight to this Nuremberg 2.0 we're going to have executions and stuff and other people are going yeah man that that's it that's that's the idea is is just so it, it it strikes people dumb
1: yeah I mean I'm still gobsmacked by it and and hearing you talking about those particular words it's still I'm still dumbfounded by it and and yet I'm not and I'd like to again come back to that um the the premise of this which and can I just let you into a little bit of the you know kind of background stuff is that for a while so this was called fire and fury right um and there's a hilarious conspiracy theory. You mentioned Sean Plunkett, who's come up with his own conspiracy theory about why we called it Fire and Fury, um, which we can talk about if you like. But uh, for, for most of it, the working title for most of its production was The Inciters, And the reason for that was this was never about the followers. This was trying to prove to you not proved to you that sounds like we set up with an agenda because you know of course that's one of the allegations um it was trying to bring to light the conversations that you're talking about that most people don't see Mm. uh, that we were seeing because we were following them and you know their chat rooms for for months on end and yeah, we'll probably need some, I don't know, deep therapy for a while after that because it's awful.
3: It's a real behind-the-curtain stuff, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had been exposed to it a few years ago with an investigation that we did called Infinite Evil, which was into 8chan after Christchurch. Hmm. And we sat in 8chan and 4chan for a while, so, you know... (laughs) That so this is like a three-stage investigation in a way because we in the in those days, all the way back in 2019, this was literally on the dark web, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, true. So
1: is, this is the difference, this is the progression. In 2020, we did the Billy Takahica investigation that we've talked about. That was moving onto mainstream social media platforms, particularly Facebook. And now Facebook's caught up. So they're shunning these people. They found a new place to congregate. Several of them, Gab, Telegram, getter They post videos on, I mean, I, don't, I shouldn't even give you the names. I don't want to send people there. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. It's,
0: foul. Hey, um, I want to, I want to, I don't want to talk about Chantal Baker all night because it's not what we're talking about, but I do want to ask you one other thing that came up in that conversation. But first, I also want to just echo this idea without obviously giving away anything that you've told us prior to this, Paula, but the, the other evidence that people can know about very clearly that this is not a peaceful group of people is that people like yourself and everyone we've heard about have had all, I mean, you haven't told us about specific threats, but all the other people that we've talked to have used words like death threats and violence threats and threats against family and threats against business. And if this is such a peaceful movement, and I'm sorry, but I've heard people say, oh, you know, they've said it, but they they haven't actioned it. You know, yeah. uh, that, that, that was in that plunket interview okay. as well you know, have they really but have they done anything about it you know is it just free speech have they done anything about it and I thought it's well, rid- ridiculous because I could say some pretty horrific things about but you over and is over again. is that,
1: that what ha- they say is
0: that, that has that's been said at some stage I don't know if I've got that clip um I can try and find it maybe I'll find it and send it to you Paula but what I was going to say is you know I mean obviously not saying anything about your, your personal location now but do you want to tell us what what you're doing right now where you're broadcasting from <laughs> just to give the context, you don't have to i don't mean literally where city or yeah, anything
1: yeah i would yeah, be so um uh yeah I d- uh well i don't really want to talk about that too much but i okay. but suffice to say that what you've laid out is the reality and right. yeah i'm not at home um <laughs> and it won't be for a while um because the level of, I don't know how do you describe it, it's it's not just anger and vitriol, there's lots of that, and we anticipated that. Um, but the volume of it and kind of both quantity and kind of loudness is mm-hmm. more, greater than what we anticipated. What we yeah. yeah, my partner sitting over there going, Oh, and he's absolutely right, He he's here to look after me. So. Good. that's nice to know thank you (laughs) um uh so so there was that there is that constant you know still i mean i you know i don't open my phone that often all the day because um, it's just kind of annoying and tiring the the anger and vitriol there's that but then there's the directly threatening stuff um Mm -hmm. And then there's the less threatening, but kind of veiled threatening stuff. Um, uh, and so, what so what I would say about that is simply that again, I I would like to turn that back on the inciters because I do feel as though. The people who are doing that are doing that because they believe it's the right thing to do, because they Mm. believe I've harmed or wronged them. And they believe that partly because they've been spun a line that, well, particularly in the New Zealand context, but there's an international context to this, too, led by Trump, of course. Um, uh, but the whole public interest journalism fund criticism—I don't know how much you've seen that uh, arising—but yeah. I honestly believe that because we are funded by the public interest journalism fund, that that somehow means that I must receive a script somewhere from a <laughs> and I read it out. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it should—it's so farcical that it should be laughable except it's not because they believe it can i quickly explain you probably don't need to to your audience but can i quickly explain why that's so wrong
3: yeah please absolutely
1: so the public interest journalism fund is a new thing that came out and you know as one of the COVID response measures because media companies were struggling and I think most people at that point recognize that you need to have a media uh, because, for one thing, you need the dissemination of information. Uh, and so people have managed to conflate that with there being a control over a message. And so, in our situation at Stuff Circuit, the simple kind of way that I'd like to describe it or explain it is that we've always been funded by New Zealand On Air. Just because it's now got a different name under the Public Interest Journalism Fund doesn't mean that any of the process has changed. And can I describe that process to you? Because it goes like this. We send in an application, it goes to New Zealand On Air. They assess it on its merits about whether they they think we're capable journalists who could deliver uh, a programme of investigative journalism in the public interest. And then they and then they give us the money, if they approve the application, we take the money, we make a program. It's like literally that simple. We never have a consultation with them about our programs. We tell them the topic, and that's a really important distinction because did you hear what I said? We tell them the topic, they don't tell us the topic then we go and make the investigation and we publish it. Mm -hmm. That's how it goes. I'm I'm infuriated but not surprised because the, the very calculated message has been to have these inciters, followers believe that we are the enemy and they use that term so that they can disregard everything that we say and only believe and trust what they say. It's it's clever, and sadly, it's worked.
0: Can, can I add a context to that as well? And I'm not someone who either at the moment has private funding or public funding. We do this because we love it, H-O-E. Yeah. Um. I've had this conversation with Mr. Plunkett. I don't want to talk about him all night either for some reason, but he seems to be the, the 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 chief person at the moment screaming about public funding. Now, as I pointed out to him, and I'll point it out again, the only reason any of us know his name is because <laughs> of public funding. Uh, right. Fairgo and the host of Morning Report are his two highest profile jobs, both publicly funded. The only reason he's able to get $3 million from business mummy and daddy Is because of the profile he's got, thanks to public money. But now he seems to want to pull the ladder up and not allow other people to do their their mahi in it as well. And if you were to say to me, Paula, which would you trust more? A secret behind-door handshake with $3 million that does have strings attached, because I've explained that out when I talked to him about it. Or a dialogue between a government agency and a group that then can be audited and checked and open in the public, which would I think is likely to be fairer, I know where I would put my money. So, you know, take a lump sum of money from the government, make product with it. Take a lump sum of money from a business entity, make product with it. Why is this one okay, the business entity, and this one evil? You know, it's, it's, it's a ludicrous conversation.
1: Of course it is, but but he's trying to be relevant and he's trying to carve himself an audience and he's trying to establish us as the bad guys in the narrative because he wants to make himself look like the good guy who's doing the... Uh, But I think he still calls it journalism. I don't know how he can call it journalism because it's not. Well, it's
3: very obvious he's forgotten how words work and what they mean. Judging from his Twitter.
0: No, it's very obvious he's he's caught in the conspiracy theory alt alt right audience Mm. now. And and if you look at if you look at their Facebook feed, but if you look at their Facebook feed, anything that is to do with anti vax. You know, far right, alt right, any of those things have a hundred times the the reach than the other stuff. So he right. may say he may say he's not doing. I can show you. I've got this page sitting right here on my screen. If you wanted me to, um, any he might say they're not doing that and they're providing a platform for everybody. But I would say if the bulk of your audience and the biggest things you're doing are getting um, picked up by those people, then there's something about the product you're making that's attractive to those people. So it seems pretty uh-huh. clear to me. And when, when business mummy and daddy's $3 million run out at the end of next year, he's going to need an audience to monetize. And me and Chewy talked about this two months ago when he ripped um, an academic apart for writing about uh, Luxon's dilemma. Um, we said Plunkett's dilemma is very simple. He's either going to have to probably return to where he is naturally, which is a right-wing communicator and commentator, or he's going to have to bring on board those views from the alt-right because he's going to need to be able to monetize him, that's his dilemma. He offered Chantel uh, Baker a job at the end of that interview, so you know it's, it, he doesn't have a dilemma anymore because it's very clear he's made a decision as to where he's going to be. Where he's going to go. A
1: pretty cynic, it's a pretty cynical um, uh, endeavour to ride on the coattails of their popularity. They've got a big audience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hundred percent, what it is. He the audience. Hey, look. Let's I just mean, let's, Can we, can can I, we can can just add something? one
1: thing to there that go, go. conversation, yep. please? Because we're talking about uh, journalism. Because I, you know, I used to respect him as a journalist. <clears throat>
3: um,
1: and the thing that I find troubling that we need to probably try to find a solution to, because he's not the only one. I mean, I find him pretty much indistinguishable now from Counterspin, because neither of them are accountable to anybody. I mean, is when I put out a story, it has to be right, it has to be accurate, it's fact checked, it's legal, it has to subscribe to the Media Council requirements, it has to subscribe to rules. Right, And if it's on television, the Broadcasting Standards Authority uh, is the regulatory body. I mean, he's just these organisations in the past. The fact is, he's not accountable to anybody. He just says whatever he likes. And that's dangerous for our country because look at Alex Jones, look at Infowars, look at Sandy Hook, look at the people who say provocative shit on radio waves on the internet to get an audience and look at the damage they do. And that's where I fear we're heading because there is no regulatory oversight.
0: Um, just to wrap this part of the conversation up, because I'm going to go back to his interview with Shontel Baker again, because we did talk a bit about um, potential, well, threats of legal action against you. Ah, uh, they talked about that in the conversation, and I I want to give you a chance to sort of respond to it. Uh, this was Sean Plunkett talking to Chantel Baker just just before he offered her a job, actually, um, about potential legal action against stuff.
2: We've definitely been defamed. We're talking with lawyers at the moment about the avenues that we can take. But again, that comes down to funding. We don't have large funders. We don't have large money behind us. So if the public come forward and they decide that they want to help us along that journey,
0: that would definitely be appreciated. So you would consider that some of the stuff in this taxpayer-funded documentary is actionable?
2: I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't really make...
0: Just, just just, be aware, sorry, we do this, Paula, sometimes we stop the mid-range. She's just said she's been defamed, and when he asked very clearly, is it actionable, she she backs away from it. That
2: justification. I'm just going to talk to lawyers and get their opinions on it, but it does seem to break multiple yeah. media council guidelines, so that's a discussion that we're having.
0: Okay, can I... There you go. So, um, yeah, they say you've been defamed. I, I was wondering, actually, as I listened to that, is them saying they've, that you've defamed them, yeah. And if you if you haven't, is that them defaming you? question. <laughs> <laughs> <This laughs> if you haven't defamed them, then have they just defamed <laughs> I'm you? I'm just sue them. Yeah. Um, that I is... mean,
1: sorry. Sorry, I can barely contain my sort of agglomerating. <laughs> I uh, like, oh, are they se- are they serious? Are they serious? I mean, I think Look, they probably are a little bit serious. I,
3: I'm not a lawyer, but. In my opinion, this is exactly what the Uno Reverso card is for.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, you know, just, just you know, that's a freebie. I won't um, invoice for that.
0: I
1: mean, let's not waste our time with going into definitions of defamation and how that's different from media council guidelines and how media counts can- <laughs> are. Oh. Um, you know, if if it was defamatory, how can it be when they were in their own words, for one thing. Like, uh, you, did you defame yourself? Did, did you do you resile from what you said in your own words? Um, you know, clearly everything that we do and publish has been thoroughly, thoroughly fact checked and legal. It is not defamatory. Uh, lots of people have thrown around the word slander. There is no slander in New Zealand, for one thing. Uh, the first truth against defamation, the first offence against against defamation is truth. There's nothing that was said in that documentary that's not true. Um, you know, if they want to take money off people to try to explore the idea of whether they can even mount a defamation case, then, I mean, I find that, I find that really sad actually, because there is no defamation case. People will be donating money to a
0: lost cause.
1: Well you heard,
0: the grift, that, you, you heard oh, the grift. You heard the grift in the middle of you heard the grift in the middle of that, eh? At one point. Like as soon as you said we'd like to think about it, but we've got no money. So could you could yeah, maybe people will want to support us? There's the Show there's us the grift.
1: The books. Show us the books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah um, that, no, voices, famously hard up for money is uh, voices for freedom.
1: famously hard up for, for money, voices for freedom sort of tried to troll us a little bit this week by by um by adding us on various social media platforms to say that their subscriptions, whatever they are, had risen by four oh, hundred yes, saw that whatever that is, like four hundred percent of what. Um, to which my reply to Alia Bland, who runs their social media, is uh, I mean, it might have been somebody else, but I understand it's usually her. Uh, to which my reply was, That's a fascinating figure. Um, I'm looking forward to your response to our questions about your finances, about which you've said publicly that you'll be transparent, but never have been. Yes. No. <laughs> right? So, you know, maybe, they, maybe
0: Maybe their tax returns are under audit. Isn't that what that, that's the the go to? Is I'll happily release my tax returns. They're just under audit for the next four years. Maybe they're the they same. Say
1: on their, they say on their website that they'll do it annually. I mean, they, I think they were incorporated as a private company, the three of them as directors and sole shareholders, in 2020. Hasn't happened yet. So these people, you know, they and when they have been you know, they say that they are funded by ordinary New Zealanders giving $25 or whatever it is. Um, And I'm sure that's the case. I'm sure lots of ordinary New Zealanders are giving $25. Um, But when they, you know, and when I made that comment in reply uh, to them about making their finances transparent, I got a lot of pushback saying, it's none of your business. Well, (laughs) uh, it's only my business. It's only my business, A, because lots of people are donating money to this Company and B because they have publicly stated that they will be yeah. transparent about their finances. Yeah. Okay, bring it.
0: Yeah, but I, I think you should definitely contact a lawyer because they've just obviously slandered you. No such thing. Um, and your and your journalistic integrity by claiming you defamed them. So I think yeah, I think you should go for it. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Chewy, let's. Ha- uh, there are lots of people who are chatting in the chat. And it's lovely to see you chatting away there to each other and stuff. There are a few that you want to bring up, Chewy. So let's bring those up, and um, we don't want to keep. Uh, Paula forever I've got a few questions I want to throw at you towards the end so let's get some people's comments in there now to my
3: absolutely um are there plans to continue following the uh people of this movement for the wider public to be aware that they aren't going away and that they could be a constant threat to normal society
0: can I can I add can I add to the question as well I mean we're getting now the reporting there is a lot of amazing journalistic reporting going on at the moment sorry citizen journalist reporting of various people. I'm thinking about Dudley here in, in Dunedin, um, yeah, outing really outing fun. all these VFF candidates and councils and stuff. So people are continuing your work on Paula, but I guess the There's question is what about Paul. you guys? Yeah.
1: It's so cool to see that. Dudley's doing a a really impressive job, as are lots of other activists in this field. In fact, Aotearoa is doing an incredible job of this. And I've been really proud of my staff colleagues who've done the same thing, who've been compiling, you know, not quite a database yet, but it's becoming that, of candidates around the country who... The premise of this was that we we had done a story that said that Voices for Freedom last week, last week, the week before, had encouraged its followers to uh, run for local government, but to hide the fact, not declare the fact yeah. that they're affiliated with Voices for Freedom. So we reported that, uh, and the response to that has been magnificent, and it makes me feel really proud of citizen journalists and activists and and mainstream journalists' uh, commitment to upholding democratic principles, because we should know who we're voting for. We should have their uh, affiliations uh, clear, and we should be able to question them on those.
0: And what else we got there, Chewy? Um, we
3: have. I, I well, guess you, a follow I, follow on from that. Um, would there be any plans or would it be a good idea to go back and interview some of these people 12 months on, see if they had any regrets and and I guess the fullness of time?
1: That's such a great question. I'd kind of love to. One of the people that we had in our documentary, Josie, as was a reformed conspiracy theorist. And mm, yeah. that was exactly the point of that. That absolutely Josie had regrets. Absolutely, Josie recognized that. And I I'd liked t- I'd like to, I I wonder, I I think it's a really good idea. I mean, and on that note, you know, I don't know if you remember from the documentary, we went back to see um, one of the protesters that we'd met in Wellington, Ellie, and we showed her the footage of her being involved in that angry mob that chased out two of our colleagues at staff. And I honestly, like, here I am with my iPad showing her the video and I, like, quite honestly thought that the reaction would be one of horror and remorse.
0: I can't believe what I did.
1: Yeah, I'm so sorry. I mean, I was really taken aback and not expecting...
0: If people haven't, let me let me add, if people haven't seen it, it's one of the quotes I put down on chasing out the stuff reporters. The bit at the end, she said, perhaps they got a taste of what we've experienced for months. And then she said, I was not violent. Now, you know, violence normally involves a physical act. So maybe she can claim that, but she was certainly aggressive. She was certainly mob-like. But I also thought from that, you know, what we've experienced for months. What has she experienced for months to get like a mob chasing her as you saying, metaphorically, I was chased out of my job because I openly and, and actively chose not to get vaccinated. You know, like, what is she talking about? What is that experience for months that, that would require that parallel to be drawn?
1: I didn't understand that myself, to be honest. Um, and I don't want to, you know, I maybe I shouldn't have brought Ellie up because I, again, don't want to, it's not about the protesters, actually. And I don't want to diminish... Ellie's agency, but the purpose of the documentary was to show how people are drawn and encouraged and incited down the rabbit hole that she found herself down. Um, and but that,
0: but that does just point back to the instigators because she's, you know, when you hear someone say something that they haven't experienced, but they've heard from the front, you know, what we've experienced for months, she was there for two weeks. But she's heard from the front. It's been months, guys. We've had this for months, and so actually bringing her up, I think, isn't is indicative of this idea of the ones at the top. It's like you know, at, at a at a church with a pastor and all his believers just repeat what the person up the front says, you know, no matter how abhorrent it may be. I'm not saying all churches are like that, but you know what I mean. Or a political leader, or whoever it is, that came. That's why that came across to me. It's like she's heard this. She's repeated it, but it's actually not her lived experience. Cause for months, you know, yeah. chased out chased out of a space.
1: And back to your point about the the violence and the sort of definition of violence. I mean, you know, that that interview went for quite a long time. <laughs> it went back and forth and back and forth because as I say, I was surprised because I expected a kind of, you know, her to resile from what she'd done. And since I was since she didn't, it went back and forth. So because we had this massive disconnect because she said kept saying i was not violent and i said you're part of a violent mob you know who are calling for my colleague to be hung you can't separate yourself from that violence it's collectively violent but she managed Mm. to do she managed to have a disassociation by the fact that she hadn't herself called for anyone to be hung (sighs) And I I really struggle, I struggle, I struggle with that differentiation because I don't see it. I don't see that there's a great deal of difference, frankly. But I have respect for Ellie for being willing for us to go back and interview her. Um, The story is not the story that she would have wanted to be told. um, Because the story that she wanted to be told and that and that Valerie wanted to be told was the story of vaccine injuries or Mm -hmm. um, doctors being silenced or scientists being shut down. That's the story that they wanted to be told. Um, But I can't tell that story. I mean, you know, there is a story to be told at some point in the future about our pandemic response and what we got wrong and yep. what we got right because we have got things wrong there's a story to be told but the story to be told now is not that story because we don't have the answers yet we will in time but we don't have them yet. and the story to be told right now is how dangerous their incitement over their concerns has become
0: um, Just before we go on, let me just say, because I'm watching the chat go past, even though is in charge of it, um, some people are thinking their comments are being hidden. Um, I have a very strict filter on uh, my YouTube comments. So I've got the strongest filter on there. I don't actually know exactly. I've never said anything specific, but I assume that if various phrases and words and stuff that are used that Google, who own YouTube, would not allow on their site, then they won't show up. No one's in charge at the moment of removing anything. Nothing's been removed tonight. But if if anybody out there is using a phrase or a terminology that Google has decided is not appropriate then it may well not be coming up, but I mean, I don't,
3: this is I not a democracy, what but this I is,
0: saying? I don't know, but this is not a democracy anyway, I'm in fucking charge here, and if I want to delete something, I will, but I'm just telling you tonight, nothing has been, so we can just drop that conversation going on between several people. Uh, and and,
3: and if I was zapping something, I would tell you, yeah. like, hand on heart. <laughs>
0: um, Tell me this, uh, Paula, I mean, for whatever you can, what's not in the documentary? Like, is there anything that well, you kind of left not out? Much. But <laughs> Anything that would be interesting to us or that we need to know about that through whatever constraints couldn't go in?
1: Oh yeah, Um, uh, and we alluded to it in the documentary that there are two people whose um, criminal charges mean that we can't actually report it at the moment. And the reason that we, you know, that might've seemed pointless to tell you about that when we can't actually report it, but the point about that is back to the, harking back to the guidelines that I was referring to at the beginning of our conversation, which is that the guidelines say that there's a tipping point uh, at which it's um, uh, acceptable right to report dangerous speech, and that's yep. when it's spreading beyond their own community. Well, it's spreading beyond their own community when they're facing criminal charges for alleged sabotage and threats. And we put that in because we wanted you to know that these are the people that we're showing you, uh, but there are others who actually already are already facing criminal charges over this. This is not some minor thing. This is not some whim. This is not some fancy that we're reporting hmm. this is real and it's yep. dangerous
3: one one of the groups you mentioned as being involved with the in the protest was action zealandia and they had a couple of members up straight up under court martial for espionage so uh-huh. you know there's there's some some people playing around with some pretty heavy stuff
1: we, we, we spent quite a lot of time in action zealandia chats hmm. and listening to their podcasts and interviews I mean you know you say what did we leave out we left out (laughs) we you know there are there's a 10-part documentary series in this stuff there's so much to say but you know actually the documentary that I'd really like to make partly maybe as some kind of healing is the conversation that we should be having which is to be asking ourselves questions about aside from the mechanisms and structures and people that we've alluded you to in Fire and Fury, aside from that, what what are the other reasons? And we didn't go into that. We did in some of the supporting print copy about long poverty and disconnection and so many factors that led people to be drawn towards these uh, cult-like leaders, there are so many understandable factors that we as a society have to wrestle with. And we also have to wrestle with how to bring them back. And it's not by demonising them. And it's not by mocking them. And it's not by countering their facts with facts. It's about trying to welcome them back into our lives with aroha and empathy and understanding for how it happened. And I, ch- I hope that doesn't sound condescending because I really don't want it to. I just want it to provoke a discussion, prompt a discussion that we all need to have because we can't just cut people off. We've all got one of them in our family or amongst our friends. We, get, we can't just cut them off. I had a conversation this week with someone. I uh, can't give you the connection, but it, mm-hmm. it, it deeply affected me about their heartbreak about their family member who's gone this way and how hard they've tried to bring them back. And uh, we need to, you know, maybe that's the next documentary is is the healing stage, the fixing stage, the, yeah, bringing people
0: home. Well, speaking of the next stage, um, the documentary ends (laughs) – Almost fairly ominously, um, talk of a forthcoming attack or reports of being aware of a forthcoming attack, or you know, the very end of it when they're talking about what's in the what the, the, the secret agencies are talking about right now. Is there anything you can expand expand on for that? What we need to know, maybe just unpack that a little bit before we wrap up.
1: Um, uh, no, not really. To be honest, I mean, the, you know, the the advice is. Um, is summarized within those lines at the end of the documentary, which was essentially a warning from monitoring international uh, politically motivated violent extremists and uh, from the knowledge that the agencies have here that there is the intent and the capability to carry out an act of politically motivated violent extremism and reprisal for the shutting down of the Wellington occupation. And I, you know, that's chilling. It's so chilling to me because um, it's not fanciful. I've, we portrayed a fraction of it in our documentary of the level of violent rhetoric that is, that people are comfortable to, to say, to talk about. I mean, I I hope that it won't happen, but I but I but I fear that the agencies are right.
0: Hey, well, Paula, um, you know it's fantastic that you're able to find a, a time machine and looking at the wallpaper behind you, tra- travel back to the 1960s to join us tonight. <laughs> this has been fantastic. <laughs> I'm I'm very I, I'm genuinely very grateful you joined us tonight. I mean, I imagine 100%. that there is every media outlet in the country wants to talk to you, and I don't know how much you've done or how much you've haven't done, but um you know i i always love speaking to you and i really appreciate you giving us some time tonight and thank you to tim as well who's been sitting there in the background hanging out <laughs> waiting ke- keeping you safe from us maybe maybe that's what I we're he's doing right to now. Now. Oh, no, he's <laughs> <laughs> and um i i gotta say uh the documentary is amazing um i watched it twice i watched it once this afternoon before we came on and it was you know so good they Told me twice, what's that saying? Whatever it is. Um, but I think everyone should watch it. And look, I actually I actually really like how you've restated this is not about the people at the protest. And I think when you say that, maybe I didn't quite get that as much from watching the documentary, maybe, but maybe that's because I'm a bit dim. Nice no, uh, done, uh, maybe we didn't that?
1: make that clear enough. I fear yeah. that we didn't make that clear enough. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to make that more clear.
0: But be- because, because you're right. It's like we've said on this show the whole time, you know, I I'm and, and look, I'm not trying to be patronizing if you're one of these people watching, but I mostly feel sorry for people who think the vaccine is bad because they've got bad information. And maybe not so much now, because we all know that it can get past BA5 more easily than it got past iteration one or Delta, um, but certainly to do with hospitalisation, it still has not a positive impact on us. And for people who don't believe it, who have been fooled by the instigators, the people at the top, um, whether purposefully or not, actually, I do have one other question on that. Um, I actually mostly feel sorry for them. So I, I think it's good and proper and right. And I appreciate you saying it's not necessarily about the protesters, because you know, we talked about the, is it called the Milgram effect the other night when mm. we talked to, when we talked about, you know, the people uh, being being the experiment in the 60s where they turned up the electrical shock when a person got a question wrong and the person in the other room was screaming louder and louder and louder, but the person in the other room was just an actor and it was the person turning up the electric shock who was the actual test subject and didn't realise it and the test was for how much can we get this person to turn the test up just by being instructed by a person with a clipboard and a white coat. And it was fascinating to watch how many people would basically give deadly amounts of uh, electrical shocks because of the being told to do it by an authority figure. Um, There's also something I've already done this once this week. If you haven't seen it, go and watch the push. The push is a show on uh, Netflix for people who want to understand how this works. And it's Darren Brown trying to convince someone through uh, social manipulation and social conditioning to murder someone in 90 minutes, to try and condition them from the start of the experiment to the end to push someone off a building. Uh, and so there's 70 people who are actors and there is one person who's a subject matter who doesn't know that they are. And by the end of the show, that they've set it up through social conditioning to see if they could get that person to push someone off a building. So when you think about, authority figures and what they can do and how much influence they can have um neon's just saying just finish watching the push it's great thank you neon um that makes me also think about people who have received the mis- and disinformation as people who, who 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 i really can hope will find the right information at some stage and, know- and you know
1: I like that you talk about authority figures because it's really it's a really interesting term in the context of the journalism that that we try to do, which is you know that old journalistic maxim of that it's our job to hold the powerful to account, right? Yeah. Powerful being authority figures, potentially. And ordinarily, as a journalist, I've always thought that the powerful are usually government or local government or whatever. But in this instance, the powerful are the people that we're talking about. They have the power, they have had the power to sway people's opinion. And on that note of the push, some of the research that we looked at in the process of this investigation suggested that people's opinions can be swayed and the beginning of the AI process that sends them down the rabbit hole can happen within 15 minutes. Yeah. So, right. So, yeah.
0: So go, go and watch the push. Everyone go and watch the push and you'll get an idea. And let me just, on that point you've made, Paul, let me just say, if, as some of these people are accusing our government of being communist or tyran- uh, tyrannical or whatever if you actually lived in one of those states they've co-opted those words do you think you would have been allowed to sit on parliament grounds for 23 or 28 days yeah. if you were, if that was in if that was in north korea do you think that they would have gone sweat as we'll just leave them for 23 days you know they've co-opted words <laughs> and they're leaving them as a as a as a difference my last question to you Chewie, I'm not cutting this off if you've got any other questions. to I, I,
3: I have a couple of things.
0: Okay. My last question is, though, these, these authority figures at the top, genuine belief or grifters? What is your feeling?
3: Both.
1: Um, sometimes within the same person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> I won't uh, identify individuals. I, I think some of them um have been absolutely you know they they say that they they don't recognize themselves as conspiracy theorists but they quite patently are they spout mm. conspiracy theories that are proven conspiracy theories but of course yeah and there's this um there's this discussion about the whole 2% thing around wanting to feel like you're in the 2% of the population that's smarter than yep. everybody else right uh, and I think that's what's happening here. They do think that they have access to this particular special information. And the more that we criticise it, the more that they believe uh, they're right. So I think I think it's both. They're certainly making money out of it as well, some of them.
3: Hmm. Joey? Um, the the quick point, um, the push would be a much shorter programme if they started with hospitality and retail workers. It doesn't take much to convince those guys. Um I think it's a I think it's a really valid point to focus on the people that are leading these movements, um, because it, it, it's for a lot of them it's just so blatant that it is a money-making um, kingdom building exercise for them. And, I I mean, I was really, really quick to judge, and it it took me a a while to come around to the fact that if you have had the sort of upbringing where you can't trust traditional authority, you haven't had good experiences with the police, you haven't had good experience with um, the government or government agencies and that sort of thing. It opens you up so much to someone coming in saying, of course you shouldn't listen to these people. Yeah. It's Um, such
1: such a great point julie absolutely completely understandable distrust of authority and no stretch to believe to understand why you would take the steps that they have and i thank you for making that point i think that's really really important
3: yes and i really felt that with with um, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the the woman's name, but the the um, protester that you went back and spoke to, Ellie, Ellie, Ellie Evans. The the way that she spoke, it just came out as like this is someone that has gone through some stuff in her life that she doesn't trust, and someone has taken that and weaponized it, and that's no, that's where my anger sits, is with these people that are just taking advantage of of these these folk
1: i i that's a really astute observation that's precisely what's happened and i liked the way that kylie quince described it in the documentary which is that you know she doesn't want to take away agency from these people and in that particular scenario she was talking about maori individuals but the same mm. applies you don't want to take away the agency but but that it is clear what's happened and that that is precisely what's happened, that there's been advantage taken of vulnerabilities and concerns and legitimate distrust.
3: Yeah. One hundred
1: percent. exploitation of that distrust.
0: Hey Paula, we love having you on. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us in this slightly different format from what you and I normally chat on, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm glad you got a chance to meet Chewie. He's a bit of all right. And um,
2: right.
0: <laughs> people want If people want to find it, I, I tell you, I still get a little bit stuck when I'm looking for through stuff for things. So if you just Google stuff and then Fire and Fury. It's the first result Google. It's easier to Google Google.
1: than to search within stuff. Just, yeah, stuff circuit, fire and fury, and you'll
0: find it easily. You'll find it straight away. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Uh, Chewy, we're not going to do any chats on Discord. We're just going to leave it there. And we're going to say thanks for everyone joining us tonight. Uh, We will see you 10 p.m. Monday night for another edition of Big Hairy News. Hooroo. Mm